Have you ever had the feeling you were being watched? My name is August Cruz. A few years ago, I wrote a book called Stalker. It's a fiction about a man who becomes obsessed with a woman he's never actually met. Like most fictions, however, the story has its roots in real stalking cases. Over 25 million people have experienced stalking in their lifetime. Today, we're going to explore one of those cases. Hello, and welcome to episode four of My Favorite Prey. I'm August Cruz, and thanks for listening once again. Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to take a moment to thank all of you who have subscribed and have been kind enough to send an email telling me how much you enjoy the podcast, and also for admonishing me for not releasing episodes more often. What can I say? You're right. I mentioned last episode that certain things in life get in the way. And I know if I were to say that again now, it would just seem like some lame excuse. It is true, however, that certain circumstances beyond my control prevented me from sitting down and getting this episode out. In truth, I don't want to just throw out some half-assed episode. There's a lot involved in this process, you know? Research, writing, verifying, editing, procrastinating. There's a lot involved. But I'd like to think that once the episode gets done and they're out there, that the public enjoys what they hear. And I guess the fact that I've caught some backlash over not getting more episodes out more frequently is a testament that something's getting done right. Things are starting to lighten up a little, and you should be getting more episodes more often. And if not, Hey, feel free to send a bunch of nasty emails to mfpray22 at gmail.com riddled with multiple exclamation points and creative put-downs or just tell me to fuck off. The actress Christina Ricci said, Any obsession is dangerous. While some might argue that maybe that's not entirely the case each time, I can certainly see her point. Anything in excess, which obsession obviously is, can oftentimes lead to something unhealthy. In today's episode, we're going back to Hollywood to look at a celebrity stalking case, which is why I thought it was appropriate to begin with a quote from an actress. Anyone who was around in the early 80s is probably familiar with the line, They're here! It's from the movie Poltergeist, which premiered in 1982. The movie was written by Steven Spielberg and was an instant success, featuring such actors as Craig T. Nelson, Joe Beth Williams, and the subject of our episode today, Dominique Dunn. Dominique was no stranger to Hollywood. She was born in Santa Monica, California on November 23, 1959, and was the third child of Ellen Beatrice Griffin and famed author, producer, and actor Dominic Dunn. The parents divorced in 1967, but remained on good terms, and Dominique grew up being very close to her father. Many of her family members were involved in the entertainment industry in one way or another. Obviously her father, but her brother Griffin, also an actor, and her uncle John Dunn and his wife, Joan Didion, both famous novelists. And she decided that she also wanted to be an actress. She first appeared in the 1979 television movie Diary of a Teenage Hitchhiker. This led to spots in other TV shows, such as Heart to Heart and Fame, 
shows that I'm sure some of the young listeners, if there are any, have never heard of, but great shows nevertheless. They don't make them like that anymore. Her talent definitely did not go unnoticed, as she was soon cast as Dana Freeling, the oldest daughter of the family in the movie Poltergeist. I know there was a remake in 2015, and not to disparage that version, but yeah, the original was the best. The movie became the 8th highest grossing film in 1982, and she was set to reprise her role in the sequels. Sadly, that wouldn't come to pass. Enter scumbag John Thomas Sweeney. Born in 1956 to an alcoholic father and a mother who worked as a waitress and was largely absent from his life, he had a less than stellar childhood, to put it mildly. There's not a lot known about his past other than he struggled to try and better his station in life and eventually became a chef. He met Dominique at a party in 1981 when Weenie, uh, I mean Sweeney, was a chef at a popular restaurant, Ma Maison. There was an instant attraction and the two began seeing each other. By all accounts, the courtship was very sweet and Sweeney was very loving towards Dominique. So much so that they wound up moving in together in a one-bedroom home. However, as is often the case, that's when everything changed and Sweeney revealed himself to be the abusive asshole that had been lurking beneath the culinary hash-slinger's facade. He became very possessive and controlling of Dominique. He wanted to be in charge of every aspect of her life and would psychologically abuse her as a result. He didn't want her seeing her friends and limited the time she would be even able to speak with them. He even wanted her to quit acting because, well, like most insecure people, he was afraid that she would be tempted to leave him for someone else. Well, let's face it, when you're an actor, you're around good-looking people all the time, and in many cases, you have to interact with them in an intimate scene. There are countless stories of hookups happening amongst actors that were otherwise married, engaged, or just dating someone else. Brangelina! Excuse me. It's been like that since Hollywood started. Hell, infidelity didn't need Hollywood for that. That shit's been happening since before humans stood erect. Made it easier that way. Sorry, bad joke. Despite pressing her to stay home and the arguments that would ensue, Dominique and John continued to live together. Whenever the situation got heated, he would eventually apologize, and she would forgive him, which told him she loved him and wanted to make things work. In June of 1982, Poltergeist premiered, and as I said before, it was a huge success. Dominique was noticed for her performance, even though she didn't have a lot of screen time in the movie. She seemed like a natural in front of the camera, and offers were being sent her way. At the risk of using a cliché, her star was on the rise. What's even more impressive is that she did it on her own. She didn't pull the whole, do you know who my father is, or any of that nonsense. She got to where she got by her own steam. Her whole family was obviously very proud of her, as they should have been, of course. Things were looking up for Dominique with one exception. I'll give you an example. Shortly after Poltergeist was released, 
Dominique, her older brother Alex, and John went to a PJ Clark's. John went to the bathroom, and while he was gone, a guy approached Dominique's table and said, What's happening? Now, this sounds like a pretty lame come on, but it was actually a line that Dominique delivers towards the end of the movie. She was gracious and spoke with the fan until John showed up. He was furious. He went up to the guy, grabbed and shook him until they were pulled apart. You know, natural response. Dominique and Alex went to lunch with their father a few days after this incident and talked about what happened and the type of relationship that Dominique had with John. Obviously, Dominic expressed his concerns. Dominique told her dad, he isn't in love with me. He's obsessed with me. After speaking about it throughout lunch, and the growing concern over if she remained with him and what would happen if they got married, Dominique told her father that she would not marry him. Believe it or not, and there's no reason why you shouldn't, things took a turn for the worse. John began physically abusing her, pulling her hair and beating her whenever he flew into a rage over anything that he perceived as her leaving or even the mere possibility of her leaving. The bruises were noticeable. Dominique was in an episode of the 80s police show Hill Street Blues, where she played a woman who was being assaulted by her partner. Here's the scary part. Makeup department didn't have to apply any makeup at all. You see, Sweeney had beaten her up. The bruises were still very noticeable. If you pull it up online, you'll see what I mean. It's season three, episode eight, Requiem for a Hair Bag. That is actually the name of the episode. All the bruises you see on her face, they're real. No makeup. That's not method acting. That's a fucking tragedy. She ended the relationship after that. It wasn't easy. But eventually the cuisonier du crap left. Well, let's clarify. He physically left. Sweeney would harass her with endless phone calls and show up where she would hang out desperately trying to plead his case and try to get her to take him back, but she refused. Sometime later that year, Dominique was cast to play a role in the TV series V. Again, I know there's been a remake and all that crap, but, well, you know where I was going with that. On October 30th, 1982, Dominique was at home with another cast member, David Packer. They wanted to rehearse their lines in preparation for the filming. The night was going smoothly and everything seemed fine. That is, until nine o'clock, when there was a knock on the door. It was Sweeney, and at first, Dominique just spoke to him through the door while he once again apologized and said that things would be different if she just came back to him. She agreed to speak with him outside, but made no promises about reconciling. After a brief back and forth, Dominique told him that there was no chance that they would get back together she just wanted to move on. Sweeney didn't see it that way, and no matter what he said to try and convince her, she flat out refused to change her mind and give him another chance. As she made her point clear, Sweeney grabbed her by the neck and began to squeeze. As much as she struggled, 
looking into the eyes of the man who professed an undying love for her. She quickly realized that she was the one dying. Sweeney's hands, too large and strong for her to break loose from, tightened their grip until Dominique's small frame went limp. Inside the house, David heard the commotion, and when he got outside, he saw Dominique on the ground with Sweeney beside her. He quickly called the police. When they showed up, Sweeney told them, I killed my girlfriend. Although Dominique was still alive when she got to the hospital, the attack had left her in a coma. When her father Dominic and the family arrived, they saw the condition Dominique was in. Her eyes were open, but not fixed on anything. The, the light that normally shined from them was grossly dimmed. Her beautiful hair had been shaved, and in the middle of the empty patch was a screw placed there to alleviate the pressure on her brain. As they gazed on the face of the little girl they had known and loved since birth, had seen grown into a talented and beautiful young woman with a promising career, they now also saw something else that stood out. Something ugly and telling at the same time. The strangle marks on her neck left by someone who never saw her the same way that they did. How could he? The doctors told the family that Dominique was brain dead. Her heart was the only thing that kept her body alive, really. That and the machines that she was hooked up to. After much discussion, they came to the most heart-wrenching decision any family can make regarding a loved one in that condition. They decided to remove her from any equipment that was keeping her alive so she could finally rest. And so on November 4th, 1982, Dominique Ellen Dunn quietly passed away. In August of 1983, the, t the trial of John Thomas Sweeney was in full swing. Former girlfriend Lillian Pierce testified for the prosecution that Sweeney had also been abusive towards her. The Dunn family also testified, of course. Sweeney's attorney, however, was able to discount the testimony of both Pierce and the Dunn family by citing how horrible poor Mr. Sweeney's childhood had been, and how Dominique's rejection made him go out of control. Of course, it was her fault, right? Sweeney himself stated that if Dominique hadn't left him, he never would have felt the urge to attack her. Yeah, that makes total sense, of course. Because that's what you do when somebody breaks up with you, right? Strangle them. If that doesn't make your blood boil, maybe this will. Sweeney was convicted of voluntary manslaughter and sentenced to six years. I'm not making that up. Six goddamn years. Oh, and if that doesn't make you go fucking apeshit, he only served two and a half years. Don't you just love the legal system? Dominic wrote an article for Vanity Fair about the whole ordeal. It's called Justice, a father's account of the trial of his daughter's killer. It goes into the details of the case and, of course, the ridiculous outcome of the trial that was perpetrated on the Dunn family. You can still find the article online, and I definitely suggest you give it a read. Dominic passed away in 2009. 
This was taken from one of his interviews where he discusses the trial. Well, it was it was it was necessary. It helped me. It, it helped me enormously. I mean, to to be sitting four feet away from the man who killed your daughter, who was all dressed up like a priest and read the Bible. I mean, it was it made me enraged at the show business thing that justice has uh, become. You know, dressing somebody up in a park, and I hated him. I just hated him, and uh, and to be that close to him, and. Uh, and it, it so affected one of my sons uh, that, uh, you know, when they yelled out in the courtroom, Your Honor, Alex Dunn has tears in his eyes. And, and they kicked him out of the court. It was horrible. It was the most horrible experience. But, you know, when I wrote that article, I understood for the first time that I had power. Because that judge, I blame him for everything everything that went wrong in that ridiculous trial where a man who strangled a young woman for five minutes until she was dead got two and a half years in prison slap on the hand and all anyway i know that you had an encounter with him years later yeah i had an encounter but you see i went after him in a way in in that article so that within a year he went from the uh uh superior court to children's court to traffic court to no court and you know you know i have to tell you it sounds mean i felt good it doesn't sound mean it's a small measure of revenge small but it's something and i did run into him as a he, he then i ran into him years later at the oj simpson trial and uh and uh, what was he doing there he was a reporter for the Malibu Times. Have you ever heard of that paper? I never have. <laughs> if you see the interview, you can see the look of pain on his face as he talks about his only daughter who was taken from his family through a senseless act of obsession and violence. As for Weenie, I'm not correcting it. After getting out of prison, he went right back to work as a chef at a restaurant called Chronicle. When the Dunn family found out about this, they showed up, started handing out flyers to the customers that read, The food you will eat tonight was cooked by the hands that killed Dominique Dunn. Fucking awesome. John left California shortly thereafter and wound up in Florida. A doctor there, who had read the Vanity Fair article, contacted the Dunn family because his daughter had gotten engaged to a chef by the name of John Sweeney, and he wanted to know if it was the same person. The family was able to confirm that it was, and Griffin, Dominique's brother, called the young lady to convince her to break off the engagement. Weenie moved back to Pacific Northwest California and changed his name. Dominic decided to stop investing his time looking up a person who had damaged his and his family's life irrevocably, and up until his death, never bothered with John anymore. Last was known, John was working at a retirement community in San Rafael, California. Those poor senior citizens, haven't they been through enough already? Any obsession is dangerous. You may or may not agree. But something I think we can all agree on is that when a relationship, any relationship,
crosses the line of intimacy and goes into psychological and or physical abuse, then it ceases to be a healthy relationship. In my opinion, obsession is dangerous because it takes over virtually every aspect of your life. In effect, you relinquish control over your life to something else. You're giving power over your day-to-day -day to something other than yourself. And if the first person in your life that you should love, that you're supposed to love, is yourself, because you can't really love someone else otherwise, but you're not in control of yourself, then what kind of relationship can either of you expect to have? Some may not realize that they're losing control or have lost control already. That's why it's important to spot the red flags as early as possible. Dominique tried to remove herself from the situation. Unfortunately, it was too late. Don't let that be you. If you or anyone you know has experienced a stalker or think you may have, please don't hesitate to contact Safe Horizon at 1-800-621-HOPE. That's 800-621-4673. They're available 24 hours a day, and even if they aren't in your city, they can help you get in touch with the local support center. Take care of yourselves, watch your surroundings, and I hope you'll join me again.